0: Good morning, Redemption Church. Uh, and what an opportunity we have every year to hear from Anthony and his haikus. It is literally a tradition that dates back to, I think, the first year uh, that we planted back in 2012. So I guess 2013 is the first year we were blessed by those. they are always a treat. Uh, and so we encourage you, uh, write those down, frame them. You probably wanna put those over your end table, that type of thing. And so uh, knit it on a pillow, whatever it may be. Uh, but again, thanks to Aunt for that. We also will let you know, moms, uh, we're going to be uh, organizing some photo shoots for you, and so uh, you should have received an email. If uh, if we don't have your email, you probably didn't, though. So if you would like to um, organize a photo shoot for you and your family, we're gonna have a couple of the photographers here on our staff come by and do kind of a, a portrait, uh, P-O-R-C-H, Uh, shot with you, and uh, just to bless you and your family with some photos during this time. So again, if you didn't get that email and you'd like to, just feel free to, you know, I'll put an email here at the bottom of the screen, uh, and you can go ahead and check that, shoot that an email, and then we'll get you dialed in with that. So um, if you haven't been with us, we just wrapped up six weeks uh, going through um, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, trying to form ourselves and our hearts around prayer, trying to take this time real intentionally in this season of of kind of lockdown and quarantine and how do we feed ourselves and how do we um, really pursue Jesus and and be discipled in this time. And it was a wonderful series. And and what we want to do now is, is take a couple weeks to address the shifting sands that we find ourselves in. because. Uh, there's a lot of conversation going on right now around, you know, when should we open and what does opening look like? And um, us and literally every church across the country has used the tagline, right? Like the church has never been closed. And that's just true. And and we believe that, right? Like we're always on mission and we're doing different things, even if we're not meeting, you know, together on Sundays. But what does it mean for us to open up and and re-kind of engage with many of the different things that we normally do here uh, at the church and so uh, that involve being with one another and so um as we've as we've seen the shifting sand there was this moment um, two Wednesdays ago where Governor Ducey came out and he pushed back the stay-at-home order to May 15. And I know many of us have uh, thoughts about whether that was good, bad, or somewhere in between, but what I did notice is that um, my phone, my email, my Facebook, and my Twitter were all blown up with different statuses and emails and thoughts about that moment. And and a lot of them were, were very uh, just calm and collected, and here's what I think, and it's great. But there were definitely those, and we all saw them, where it was, man, like, I, he's crazy. Uh, why would he ever do this? He's going to tear down the economy. He's ruining lives in the midst of it. Uh, you had the uh, the other side of things saying, well, no, uh, man, this is the first time I've ever agreed with the decision he's made. Uh, I heard he hasn't gone far enough. Like, he just couldn't get it right. Like, he... And I would hate to be in his position. And, and the reality is, is, is we're not foreign to that here at the church. Uh, there's a lot of opinions, right, about the way things should go. And, and we totally understand that. And we love to hear from you in the midst of that. But it's really this opportunity that exists here uh, for evil to take this and breed about real division that we see in our country, uh, that we see in a lot of different groups, but that should never, hear me, should never be present amongst God's people. And so what we want to do over the next two weeks is, is learn from two of our church fathers, namely uh, the Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul, and their writings to the churches then in very difficult times, in times where, just like us, they shared a common enemy, um, and how what, what type of advice would they give us about how we can tread well in wisdom in a way that would, would really glorify God? because. Truly as we begin to reopen as in and, and as we continue to try and be a witness to the world There's a lot at stake God's glory and and it's not that God won't get his glory like he does God does God stuff and God will get his glory But he invites us into that same with our witness like God God will witness to the world But he invites the church into that and people are watching and, and they're wondering well How will how will the church respond? How will these Christians respond in this? What an opportunity for us to look honestly look a bit different and, and to be the church we need to be. There's this great quote, but he's by a, he's a theologian, he's a professor uh, that I, I deeply respect. Right, Just like all things, I don't agree with everything he says, but most of it's phenomenal. His name's Stanley Hauervast, and he says this in this great book called Resident Aliens. He talks often about the church, right? And, and what does it mean for the church to be formed and to look like the kingdom of God? And he has this quote, he says, what type of church... Uh, church, must we become so that? And then it, it just leaves kind of the rest blank. And, and it leaves us up to our imagination because we all have different issues and missions and things that we're trying to navigate in a complex world. And so what type of church do we need to become or be that we might be a faithful witness that gives glory to God in a season that feels like it's right on the precipice of division? Uh, even within the household of faith where it should never be. And so as we look towards this summer, as we reopen, and you're getting voices from everywhere, what does it mean for the church to be united? And so we're going to learn from these two church fathers about what should be the right posture and the right practice of Redemption Flagstaff during this season for this time that God would be glorified, that our witness would not be compromised, and that we would experience the joy and the power and the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in this entire season. So, so that's the whole plan. Now, the text we're going to look at is 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. If you're not too familiar with the context of this letter, this passage, um, let me give it to you. And it's one of the main reasons why we wanted to enter into this, because um, what we have to understand, I already said it once before, it's kind of been passing, but um, we have to realize that it's same as in Peter's day, as in uh, Abraham's day, as in the day of every human being that's ever set foot on this earth, we all share a common enemy, and hear me, it is not your neighbor. And it is not the person that disagrees with what you believe. It is not the person that thinks you are wrong about what it means to reopen. It is not the person who thinks you have to do things this way or you have to do things this way. Now, are, are they against you in some ways? Can we can we put that term enemy there? Does Jesus even say love your enemies? And yes, he is talking about the people that are coming at you or disagree with you. That's all there and all true but hear me, at the end of the day, what links us with Peter is a shared enemy. And hear me, it was not and is not for us the Roman government. It was not those persecuting the early church. Obviously, we live in 2020. But there is a shared enemy that is trying to shape and trying to influence what does it mean for us to be united, to be the church, and to be faithful in posture and practice to what God has called us to. And that enemy is namely Satan, sin, and evil, right? And for some of you, that might sound crazy, like this force of Satan and sin. It's it's real. Like we we believe that that there, like Paul says, we we do not war against the prince and principalities of this world, but rather this spirit of the air, Satan, sin, evil, that is battling against all of creation, not just humanity, but all of creation, who is longing for redemption. So so we unite then with Peter's influence and with Peter's encouragement in this letter to the church then that it can translate to us now because ultimately what we believe is that we share a common enemy with all of humanity. Now this is unique to the church and it positions us in such a way that even now we are the best possible alternative for the world to see the way things should be. And Here's what I mean by that. We deeply believe that we have a common enemy, humanity that is, Satan, sin, and evil. We're all against it. It's all against us. However, if you do not share that worldview, and you're looking to unite with a common enemy, you're looking to say, well, how, who, do, who can I ally with? Who will be on my side? Who will back me up? Who will be my team? If it cannot be this, this outside force that is against all of us, namely Satan, sin, and evil, like the church believes, like the Bible teaches then all you're left with is it has to be my neighbor it has to be the person I disagree with. It has to be the person on the other side of the aisle politically. It has to be the person who thinks differently about the reopening strategies of our country. It has to be differently about the person I see doing something that I wouldn't do or vice versa. And so here's the thing, without the right worldview that we are all in this shared moment together against a common enemy, we have to find others and that is what we see in our world is that there is division, dissension, attack, and slander. Church, we need not ever go there because we buy into a different worldview and a different reality that shows us that there is an enemy that is even greater. Now this doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this, that you can never disagree. Disagreement's good, and that's circling back to that, but I didn't want to lose you there. But here's what we're gonna do, uh, is we're gonna look at 1 Peter 3, 8, through all of that lens. The last thing i'll say before we open up the text is the main reason why i really love this text and really wanted to take these two weeks to talk through this is because like many of you that i've spoken with like i'm just really weary like i'm very i'm i'm tired i feel i just feel uh right and i know some of you feel the same way like it's just This has been heavy and weighty, and it's so interesting because some of the things that have made me feel weary and tired and and just kind of beat down were not things I expected coming into this. There were things like, okay, well, this will be harder, this will be easier, and it just hasn't been that way. There's been things that have really brought weary to my soul. But I wanted us to go into this text and talk about this the next two weeks because I think when we're weary, it's easy for us to just give up our convictions. We're tired. You all know this, right? Like you, you get hangry or you get really, you didn't sleep really well, so you're just really irritable in the morning. Like a lot of you know that. If you're not a night person, you're up too late, so you're really irritable at night because you just don't have enough sleep. You're weary, you're tired. When we're weary, weary, can, can, we, we can compromise who we know we are to be. I want to. I want us to learn even from a fr- from a posture on the front end before jumping into our Peter text. The the encouragement from Paul in Galatians six nine that we may never grow weary in doing good. That even as we enter into this text, that we would so welcome this encouragement from the Spirit of God and from the Word of God to rightly convict and change us. Why? Because yes, it is. I mean, it's totally okay and makes total sense why you would be weary and tired and beat down and just over this season that all makes sense. But let it never dictate how the church responds. Let us never grow weary in doing good. Let us never grow weary in being like Jesus in the midst of the weariness, in the midst of the tire, in the midst of the trial. And so hopefully this text and next week when we hear from Peter and Paul will shape us. So here we go. 1 Peter 3.8. Let's look at our first verse. It says this, Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I don't even need to take a lot of time on these because we know what these means. But, but, but let's, let's run through And The first one, have unity of mind. And he's talking to the church. Church, this is how we are to posture our hearts and our minds. Our, this is how we are to posture ourselves as the church amidst the trial. Have unity of mind. And it's real simple. Think the same. Now, does that mean think the same on everything? no it does not mean think this have differing opinions i i love the saints the lsu tigers the new york yankees the los angeles lakers and liverpool reds like i am a diehard fan for all five you don't need to love all those same teams the way i do like god will love you less but at the same time uh you don't have to do that like we we can have disagreements in this world we have disagreements about things that are even more serious but what peter is encouraging the church to do here is to be of the same mind, to think the same way in these things, in the things of real consequence, namely, how are we treating one another? How are we treating and loving our neighbor? How are we submitting to one another in a sacrificial way like Jesus that we would glorify God and be a faithful witness to a watching world? Think that way. The second one, have sympathy. Uh, I mean, I, in the Greek, this term, I'm not going to even try and pronounce it. I always just ruin it when I try and go foreign language. Um, but the Greek means to have a fellow feeling. And I love that idea. Like, have a fellow feeling. That means when someone else is feeling something, the encouragement from, from, uh, from Peter here is to have that feeling as well. Like, like enter into it and have that as well. We, we often call this empathy. Uh, there was a a class that anthony and i were in in seminary just this last week with a professor and a pastor uh, named andrew zanting it was a phenomenal class Um, but one of the things he shared was talking through empathy and he gave this definition to it and honestly i just loved it and 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 uh, like people often give me a hard time that i'm not all that empathetic. Many people here uh, at, on staff, my wife included, will, will call me a robot uh, because, you know, like they haven't programmed empathy into me yet. I don't know who the kind of proverbial they is, but someone out there forgot or missed that. Um, but this idea of empathy is this, that you would suspend your experience to listen and learn someone else's. And I'll say it again, To suspend your experience, suspend what you in that moment, like, oh, this is true, right? Suspend that to listen and to learn someone else's. This is what's going on here. And man, could that not be more applicable for our season where again Satan, sin, evil would seek to divide? We can say, no, I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn. I'll suspend my own thing. Why? Because I care about you. This is the posture. The next one is brotherly love. We've talked at length about love we we, we went just we did a whole series on on love walked among us about jesus we've done whole sermons about uh just focused on love this idea that if you don't love then you don't know god first john tells us this and you don't know god because god is love we don't need to overthink what that means it's truly the heartbeat of god like we know what it means to love someone mostly because we know what it means to not love someone to not treat them with kindness and respect and to consider them as equal, if not more important than us, to not outdo them in showing honor to them, to love other people. So that's the third one. The fourth one that we're encouraged by by Peter here is to have a tender heart. Now, a tender heart leads to tenderness. In other words, if your heart is tender, you will be tender to others. Now, this was hard for me to define. I, I was like, what does it mean to be tender and i 'm going to be honest I, I enjoy I enjoy a really good bone and ribeye, so I started right, I went right to meat, which wasn 't maybe the best thing, and so I started to think more about it from this angle, which is there are things that make my heart tender. there are things that that immediately elicit an emotional response in me. Of affection and compassion and love and desire, and that's what it's driving at. For me, there's a couple of those things, like like the reunion videos when like a soldier returns home and and like kind of slowly walks behind his daughter who's in class. Or there's one where the father is uh, he's playing catcher and and so he like puts on uh, the catcher's mask and rips it off, and his kids the pitcher, and they run and embrace. I'm an absolute mess. Those ones do it to me. The ones where uh, where where uh, uh, little kids will, will ask their step parents right to become and officially adopt them like that one same thing the videos of, of guys getting glasses where they get a see color for the first time like th- those youtube videos just wreck me and what they do is they're, they're tender to me they make my heart tender because the action that i want to come from those is i literally want to like find those families and I want to love them. Like, like, how can I bless you? How can I be with you? How can I hug you? I, I just love that. That's that idea. There are things that cause your heart and my heart to be tender. Know those things. And that emotion that you experience in that moment, this is what Peter is encouraging the church to. Have that same tender heart that you might act to the other person in tenderness. And then the last one is of humble mind. Humility. That you would think clearly in a posture of self humbly. Now, Tim Keller, I think, has just a phenomenal definition on this. Shocker, we're quoting him. But he says this, that humility is not thinking less of yourself as we often try and do it, right? Humility is just like, well, how can I tear myself down? That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it's thinking of yourself less. It's how do I, in the midst of that, not make myself always the center? I don't always have to be the focus. It doesn't always have to be about me. That is where humility comes in. What do you think of you, and what do you think of me? Because that will affect how we treat one another. It shouldn't be a shocker. So again, the posture that Peter gives us, and it's so clear, and we just have to choose, are we actually going to Are we actually going to live like this? Are we going to allow our hearts to be like Jesus and postured this way? Or will we fight it for zero good reason outside of our own pride? So again, will we be united, sympathetic, empathetic? Will we love? Will we have tender hearts and humble minds? This is the posture of God's people in the midst of any season, but namely and specifically for God's glory and our witness in seasons of trial and difficulty. So let's look what this looks out. Okay, um, and it's going to sound crazy. Like, how does this work itself out? It will sound contradictory to the way we think life is meant to be lived. But let's look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil so here we go Uh, what is the response to the right posture of heart in life that is shaped by the five things that peter just gave us that we just talked about It's when someone reviles, when someone disagrees, when someone hates, when someone comes at you, your response is not to revile back, hate back, snap back. uh, It's to bless. This is wild. And it doesn't make a ton of sense outside of the worldview that has Christ as king, outside of a worldview that says that we have been placed on this earth to be glorifiers of god and blessers and lovers of our neighbor but if that's what we believe this makes perfect sense because we're not going to hate those who hate that we're not going to revile those who revile no, no no. in fact we won't even just it's not even just add like well, okay, well we'll just leave you alone it's i will bless you the language we get here that i love is let him or her right seek peace and pursue it to seek peace and pursue peace so, so it's not just enough for us just to say, okay, well, uh, if you revile, I'll just be quiet. It's, you know, we're actually going to seek peace. Now, here's the problem. When we think to chase peace, we often think through peace, through the lens of the absence of conflict. And this isn't new. We've talked about this here before at Redemption. But we think peace means, well, we're just not fighting, and so I guess we're at peace and the biblical vision, the, 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 the Jesus, kingdom of God vision for peace is far more comprehensive, beautiful, and robust. It, it, it's, it's literally comparing the two. It's, it, it's The way the world thinks of peace is no conflict. The way the Bible talks about peace is the way things are supposed to be. And we are called to chase this. We're not called to chase no conflict. We're called to chase the way things should be what a beautiful movement of the people of god to say this is what we're after we're after the way things are supposed to be and and there's there's no way that we can look at so many of the situations that are happening in our culture and world and say man that's the way things should be. We cannot look at the Facebook statuses where we attack and belittle one another. We cannot look at the side gossips and conversations where we tear down the brother or sister and say, that's the way that things are supposed to be. We just think they're not conflict because we're not saying it to them. Or maybe we're saying it behind a screen. That's, that's not right. It's not who we are. It's not what we're called to. In fact, when people revile, no, we bless. When people are evil, we love, we move towards, we chase peace, we pursue peace, we be that. Now, some of you are like, well, I haven't been in a conflict in my whole life, which one, isn't true, but two, maybe you're just like, ah, it's not really my deal. Here, great, then just be a peacemaker anyway. Go out and seek and pursue it for our world because our world is broken. Our world is longing and clamoring for something better for something different for the way things are supposed to be be a peacemaker a peace pursuer for you and for our society culture world and our church so that that's the, that's the but Peter, again, in the midst of all the trial and, and the persecution, he's like, listen, we have this common enemy's trying to destroy, to divide, this is who we need to be, the world's trying to come at us as well, listen, this is who we need to be, and we're going to bless, and we're going to bless, and we're going to seek peace, we're going to pursue, we're going to love, this is who we're meant to be, and so there would not be any infighting in the church about that, because that's who we are, and then namely, in remembering, rather, that we're called to be that before a watching world we're called to love. So, this brings us to the last part of this passage in in 1 Peter 3. Um, (laughs) And it's it's just trying to navigate, like, how how do you do this without compromise? How do we continue to pursue this? Because this is not easy. This This is an incredibly difficult task to constantly return to a posture of heart that is so contradictory to our own flesh, to the old man, if you will. How do we do that? And I think this last part of the passage gives us the answer. In verse 13, Peter says this to the church. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, like you're chasing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So so even when you gotta clap back, right? How? Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ, here, and here's the money verse, right? Here's, here's where it all zooms into. Here's where all is formed, is right here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit and so so here, here's a, la- a couple last little points here um a good marker for how are we doing in this is to ask ourselves this question and, and it's just the main question coming off of this when, when, you, when it comes to uh should i or this person said that should i how should i respond right uh, they, they said this on this post Uh, I disagree with that decision, and I disagree with that decision, and they disagree. That whole deal, where division, dissension, the enemy's trying to come in, where there's trial, there's pain, there's division, the whole deal. How should I respond to that? Here, ask this question. Will Christ, okay? Verse 15, 16. Will Christ be honored by my action? Period. If I do this, Is this for my own honor that I have to protect because I have to win and I have to be right? Or is it for the honor of Christ? Will he be glorified because what he's called his church to is radical, prioritized, intentional unity of mind, of spirit, of body, of purpose. This is who we're called to be. And so as we look towards this, this future next season, how how do we do this well? We're gonna speak well, we're gonna believe the best, we're gonna engage, we're gonna have those dialogues. why? Because God has very clearly called his people to unity. He's very clearly called us to have the posture of empathy and love and tenderness and humility. And so because that's true, that's how we will honor him, is by doing what he has told us to do in his word. So, fam, honor Christ. And when you're about to make any type of response to the world we're in right now, ask yourself that question. Will Christ be honored by my action? Will the world see Jesus and who he actually is in my posture and my practices? And now, why all of this? Because in verse 18, I said, it's just that money verse. Because Christ suffered once for sins. And he suffered as the righteous one for the unrighteous. Church, why, when reviled against, when attacked, slandered, and evil has knocked on your door, do we not respond with that same vitriol, that same attack, that same slander, that same comment battle, that same whatever it may be? It, and sometimes, and let me just be very clear, it's not always that overt, and I've, I've kind of mentioned a couple times, but just to be very clear, it's not always that overt. A lot of times it's just even what's going on in your heart, and you know your heart. I don't know your heart. You know your thoughts. I don't know your thoughts. But God does, and he's trying to form and reform us into the image and likeness of Christ, who suffered once for the sins of the enemy, who was righteous and died and defeated Satan, sin, and death for the unrighteous slanderer, for the enemies of God that we might be brought to God. How is all of this possible? Because what Jesus did in his life, in his death on the cross, and his resurrection, was he brought us to God. We could not get to him our own. We tried. Humanity chased after him, and it did not work. So Christ came, and he brought us to God where we could not go, but yet where we needed to be. Christ brought us there. And it is by the gospel. By the good news of Jesus Christ, that church, we are now new, we are now gods, and we are now able to be postured like this and to practice like this to be a faithful people. That God might be glorified, that his people might be unified, and that the witness of the church would ring out well beyond this season. Church, we continue to pray for the opportunity that the church, not just redemption, but the church global has to be a witness, not just this season, but for well beyond. Like that, What if God, in his amazing wisdom, is using this to reform and refine us, reform and refine his church, that we might be even more faithful, more efficient for the gospel in the way that we share and communicate and live because we look more like Jesus. And that comes with how will we handle this next season? How will we unite? How will we love each other? and then love our neighbor. I land with these last two quotes from uh, a pastor that's based out in Italy. His name is Giovanni. Um, he's good friends with Pastor Tyler, who many of you know, he's the lead pastor of all of redemption. He came in and just spent some time with us to talk to us about ministry and pastoring and life. And he had these two quotes that have stuck with me for a really long time now. And the first one was this, in talking through how we can bless one another. And this is, again, namely and firstly with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but then to our neighbor as well. It says, the death in me can become the life in you. And gosh, I like love that quote. like The death in me becomes the life in you because that is literally the gospel of Jesus. That the death of Christ became life in in humanity, where we could not find it, he produced it for us. Might we live the same way? That we wouldn't always have to defend and speak up and get defensive and prove ourselves and be right, but rather we would see what we are called to, to be united in mind of is the mission of God, the glory of God, the posture and the practice of his people. The death in us might become the life in those around us. And the second quote he said, because we asked, we pressed him, we said, well, how, how do you just keep doing this? Because that just sounds hard. How do you not just grow cynical when you live that way and people just don't change or it doesn't, they're still wrong in their thoughts, right? And that's often the case is th- this isn't to win an argument because a lot of times, even if you act this way, you're not going to change the, someone's mind about this, but we'll still be the faithful people called to how we're supposed to live. And, and so he responded with this. He said, well, h- how do you respond to cynicism? How do you respond to people? And instead of saying, yeah, that's really tough, kind of given a caveat to what he said before, he doubled down on being like Jesus. And he said this quote, and he called us to allow them, those that we're antagonistic with, allow them to wound you. Let them come close to you like Jesus did. Like, let them in, because in that, In that, there will be true empathy. There will be true understanding. And hear me, we will share in the work and the life and the power of Jesus who lived that life from day one till the day he left this earth. Church, invite people into that. And the church exists to bandage you back up. That's why we're here. That's why community, that's why the church, that's why the spirit is there is that we would be able to be with one another. If Just looking back in the text, what's quoted there in those verses by Peter is from Psalm 34 from King David as an enemy approach has he's just fled and, and his life has just been spared from a foreign king. And he, he's saying these things like, I'm not going to rebuke, I'm not going to re, you know, respond to evil with evil, I'm not going to do that because I know my God. And so he's quoting Psalm 34. But what's so beautiful about the rest of Psalm 34 as it continues on, we get that great verse towards the end of Psalm Psalm 34 that says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that he saves those that are crushed in spirit, that he's telling Peter. And what Peter sings about in Psalm 34 is that even in the midst of the difficulty of, man, I was almost killed. This guy is going to to do evil. I will not respond with evil. How can I stay in that? The Lord will be close to the brokenhearted and he will save those crushed in spirit. The Lord will come close, and the church will come close, and we will bandage each other back up that we might be able to maintain a posture of heart and mind that sounds so foreign to us, so foreign to our world and culture, that we might be able to embody practices that seem so foreign to our world and culture. Why? Because we are his. We're Christians. That's how we're called to live not just in this time of potential division, dissension, backfighting, but in this season of really moving towards one another. Church, I love you so much, and I hope that together, and then even please come back next week as we learn from Apostle Paul, Anthony, and we'll be together again to talk further on this idea and what does it mean for us moving forward in this season as we see different things come back into view and function here at the church. You're so loved. We're going to take just a moment with Anthony and I to get into Lamentation on this Lamentation Sunday. And so we'll be back with you in just a moment. God bless you.